You are tuned to WEHC Emory and WISC FMYs. I'm Leanne Hunter, live in studio and broadcasting from the campus of Emory & Henry, here to welcome you to our local programming. The time is 1 o'clock on Wednesday, November 1st, and it is time for another edition of Farm Talk, the program that educates and answers your questions about dealing with the natural world. And here for the next 30 minutes is the host of Farm Talk, Virginia Tech Agricultural Extension Agent, Phil Blevins. Thank you, Leanne, for having me on again today, and thanks to those that are listening. Again, uh, please remember that if you have questions, feel free to call in to the show, or if you have uh, need information that uh, we can't deal with on the show, if you could send me an email to pblevins at vt.edu, then I'll do my best to get an answer uh, to you regarding that. Also, if you have ideas of topics that you'd like to have discussed on this program, I'd certainly be interested in that as well. I'm going to talk about a couple of things today, and the first one is I wanted to make an announcement that uh, we're taking applications now for a 2024 Master Gardener training program. The Master Gardener program is an extension program. We have an outstanding group of Master Gardeners in the Washington County Master Gardener Program. And if you're not familiar with uh, the Master Gardener Program, uh, this was something that was developed by an agent out on the West Coast many years ago uh, that was getting more home horticulture calls than he could actually deal with. And so he conceived this idea to train people in horticulture in return for them volunteering for him in the office to answer these questions. And That program has now grown from that one county to where it's across the whole United States now and in other countries as well. And so our program began back in 1999. And what it consists of is you go through 50 hours of classroom instruction in horticulture all the way from soils to growing things. And to become a master gardener, then you volunteer 50 hours of volunteer time on projects that are approved for our Master Gardener program. This next coming year, the classes will be held beginning on January the 29th at the Southwest Higher Education Center on Monday evenings. And the classes last from 6 to 9 o'clock. The price of the class is $99, and with that you get the instruction as well as the Master Gardener handbook. If a couple wants to come, then they can register for $175 and and use one handbook. And so registration ends on January 15th. So if you're interested in that, if you could come by our office or send me an email and I can send you an application, there is a limit to the number of people that can be enrolled. So it's a first comes, first serve situation. So if you're interested in that, Please contact me or the Extension Office, and we can get you that application. All right, so let's go on to uh, a topic on growing things now. And so one of the uh, things that's been obvious the last couple of years is the high cost of fertilizer. And so there are some things that we can do about that. We've talked about soil sampling before, which is certainly at the top of the list. We need to know what we're doing before we do anything, whether it's in a garden or a pasture field or a corn field or whatever it might be that we're growing. But there are some things that we can do to help us with one of the most expensive of the nutrients that crops need, and that is legumes. 
And legumes are plants that have a unique feature in nature that they can do something that other plants can't do. And there are bacteria that colonize the roots of these plants that can actually take nitrogen out of the air and assimilate that in nodules on the plant for their own benefit. They use the carbon from the plant and also use the nitrogen. And then as those nodules die, then they release nitrogen back into the soil for the use of the plants. And some of those plants that we're really familiar with that are legumes are alfalfa and clover. Uh, those are some of the ones that we're most familiar with. And if you've ever noticed in places where legumes are growing, uh, things tend to be greener. And that's because of the fact that they are, as this nitrogen cycles through the rhizobia, which are the bacteria that colonize the roots, as those nodules die and that's released back into the soil, then other plants can take advantage of that. And so the ones that we would be, uh, other than alfalfa and red and white clover that would be useful for us in a system where we wanted to use these for our benefit in growing a garden or growing a crop would be uh, soybeans and then some cover crops. We talked about cover crops about two or three sessions ago. We talked about the value of cover crops. And there are two legumes that work very well in that system. And hairy vetch is one of those. And then crimson clover would be the other one. And so the value of them in any kind of rotation, you know, when, when my parents, uh, when my dad was small growing up and his granddaddy, there used to be a rotation that people used in this part of the world. They would grow corn and then they would grow uh, wheat and they would grow red clover and that would be the rotation. And that red clover fit into the rotation very well because it supplied nitrogen. And by fixing nitrogen, uh, they certainly have a great benefit. But they also, for livestock producers, they're very good in terms of a grazing crop because clover is a very high, highly nutritious crop. Um, the protein level's higher. The energy values are higher in it generally than grasses. Uh, and also for alfalfa, alfalfa, if you're not familiar with it, is called the queen of forages uh, because of its ability to supply high-quality feed as well as it has a really deep taproot. I mean, it can go down into the soil really deep to get water. Um, and so they can supply really high-quality hay or silage for those that are feeding silage. And they also do something called Im Im that Im improving soil health. And there's a big focus on soil health in the country now because soils are really the foundation of everything that we do. I heard a dairy farmer from Florida speak one time, and he said when he, he was a grazing dairy, and he said when he first got in, he thought cows were the foundation. And he said then he thought, no, what the cows eat is the foundation of what to do. And ultimately he said, no, the soil is the foundation of all that we do. And it really is because that's where our crops uh, gather their nutrients, their water, which ultimately supply our livestock and, and us. If we're growing a garden or if you're just growing flowers or you just want a pretty landscape, it all boils down to that. And they're important in terms of pest control. I mean, we can use these crops to help us break the cycle of certain insects with crops that we grow, like corn, for example. Those are corn growers know that the western corn rootworm can really be a problem uh, in corn that's grown year after year. And one of the ways to break that cycle of that western corn rootworm is to rotate out a corn one year, if we can do that. And we can use an alfalfa crop or another legume 
as the rotation crop to break that cycle and still get the benefits of good feed. Also, it it offers producers an opportunity to control some weeds that they maybe couldn't control otherwise. And so, so if you think about it, you know how do they how do they best fit in? If we're thinking about in a in a rotation, and when I talk about a rotation, that doesn't mean that you have to be rotating from one crop to another from year to year, even though that is a rotation, but it could be simply that if you're a gardener, uh, that you're planting a cover crop in the wintertime uh, uh, on the garden that you're growing. And so in a farm production situation, they certainly fit in well with a forage crop because they do supply good high-quality feeds we talked about. But as a cover crop, crimson clover and vetch really work well in those situations to provide cover. And we'll look at in just a minute, hopefully we'll get to it, how deep these plants can go to pull up nutrients to the top of the ground. Uh, And when we think about uh, organic matter, which is really one of the, ideally we want to build that in the soil if we can. And it takes about 2.2 tons, if you think that's a lot of residue, it takes about 2.2 tons of residue per acre per year to maintain organic matter levels at a constant level in crops that were continuously, uh, or land that were continuously cropping. Uh, and so that's a lot of mass, and we can help that with legumes. The other thing, really, the, the money, one of the other money saving things that we get with the legumes is we can add 40 to 200 pounds of nitrogen per acre with legumes. And that's nitrogen that's harvested out of the air uh, by the bacteria on this plant. You know, in the past few years, uh, that's been worth in the neighborhood of 32 to $160 an acre. And so that's real money if we can use that uh, to capitalize on it. I did a cover crop experiment several years ago with a crop where we reduced the nitrogen rates and we planted into crimson clover was one of the treatments and vetch was one of the treatments. And we reduced the nitrogen rate by half of normal, what we would have normally done, and we saw no reduction in in yield in those cases. And so it, it really, uh, for those that might be farmers that are listening, you know, hairy vetch really fits well in with a corn ro- in a corn crop where you're planting a cover crop. If you can get it in early enough to get the growth to get that nitrogen, you can really cut back on the expense of the nitrogen inputs. And so there are some things though that will influence how much nitrogen a legume can produce. And one of those is when it was planted. If we really delayed, for example, you could plant vetch probably up to the first of November, but Doing that compared to the 1st of October, there's going to be a big difference in the amount of nitrogen that it can produce. The other things that can affect it, obviously, are drought. You know, we're in pretty dry weather right now, and that's going to have an impact in terms of how well the plant grows. Or if we get a poor stand, obviously, if the plants aren't there, you can't do it. Now, if you gardener, farmer, whatever, if you're using a legume as a cover crop, You need to keep in mind that about 60% of the plant nitrogen, if we plow that under, so if we had a crop of crimson clover and we plowed that under in the spring, what's referred to as a green manure crop, about 60% of the plant nitrogen would be available for the the crop that you're growing the next season. Uh, 40% of the plant tissue, if it's not incorporated, 
if we were in a no-till situation, about 40% of the plant tissue nitrogen would be available to the plant, the crop that you're growing. But either way, uh, that's just a bonus uh, where we take the nitrogen out of the air and the, and the bugs do the work for us. Um, you know, if we looked at, for example, a veg crop, you know, a veg crop which accumulated 180 pounds of nitrogen, given these figures that I've talked about, would supply 108 pounds of nitrogen if we were plowing it under, or 72 pounds of nitrogen if we were in a no-till situation. That's a lot of money. You're talking about, you know, you're talking about depending on what nitrogen prices are, 50 or more dollars an acre in those situations. And plus, if we get in a system where we're doing this on a routine basis, then we can begin to see increased yields over the years as a result of that. So, you know, when we think about replacement value of a, the nitrogen fertilizer replacement value of a legume cover crop, where we're sowing it in the fall uh, to plant a crop in the spring or we're sowing it in the summer to plant a crop in the fall, you know, Harry Vetch, as a as an average figure, is going to replace 80 to 90, about 90 pounds of nitrogen um, where we're under no-till. Uh, other things like crimson clover, 88 pounds of nitrogen in terms of replacement value, and so uh, extremely important in that case. And if you look at some average biomass, you remember we said a while ago we're talking about 2.2 tons of biomass per acre to maintain organic matter levels in a soil, and you could do some figuring to get that down to your garden size. Uh, if we look at the biomass of some of these plants and then the nitrogen yield from them, for example, sweet clover, which we don't really grow to any extent around here, but you could get almost you could get a ton and three quarters of biomass there and supply 120 pounds of nitrogen. A hairy vetch, a ton and three quarters and 110 pounds of nitrogen. This is based on research studies that people have done. Crimson clover, about one and a half tons and 100 pounds of nitrogen. So we see the benefits of it. We can It's obvious to us that there are benefits to it, but there's also some benefits to the nitrogen that's, if we compare what's in the tops to what's in the roots, because a lot of our mass is underground. And so we're going to look at that in just a minute and then make some more comments, but right now we're going to take a station break. Nick Garris and Allison DeGroote bring the thrill to the stage at the McLaughlin Center for the Arts on November 3rd at 7.30 p.m. Two of the finest contemporary exponents of banjo and percussive dance sound and move together, drawing upon tunes and gestures from Appalachia, Ireland, and beyond. The thrill is drawn from the influences of the late Hobart Smith, an old-time musician and dancer from Marion, Virginia. Tickets are available at the box office in the McLaughlin Center for the Arts or by calling 276-944-6333 or go to ehc.edu forward slash mca for tickets and more information. You are listening to WEHC and WISE FM Wise. We are here live in studio with Agricultural Extension Agent Phil Blevins with his show, Farm Talk. Back to you, Phil. 
Thank you, Leanne. And uh, just a word before we get back into talking about our subject of the day. Next week, we're going to try to look at some information on meat. When you go to the store to buy meat, when you're picking a meat cut, uh, things about how do we cook that, where does that come from in the animal, and some things like that I think might be of interest to people. That's a little different than growing things, but that's certainly about eating things. And so it affects what we do. So we were talking about legumes and using those uh, to grow a garden or to aid us in the management of our soil and gardening or farming. And I'd mentioned before the break that we were going to look at uh, how does it compare if we think about what's in the roots compared to what's in the legume tops. And so if you looked at soybeans, for example, if you were had a garden spot or a field that you wanted to grow soybeans in in the summer as a cover crop during the summertime or even for a forage crop, about 93% of the nitrogen is going to be in the tops and about 7% in the roots. So if you were trying to build soil nitrogen in that case, uh, either you would plow that under or you would no-till in that to give that time to decompose and go back to the soil. Or if you're feeding it, you're going to gain it back through the animal if you can distribute the animal manure around the farm. Uh, vetch, uh, about 89% of the nitrogen is in the tops and 11% in the roots. If you compare that to alfalfa, that we mentioned earlier, about 58% of the nitrogen is in the tops and 42% in the roots. And one of the things that we've observed over the years, people like to grow a grass like orchard grass with alfalfa. And it's really to the disadvantage of the alfalfa ultimately because the alfalfa feeds the grass, which needs the nitrogen, which favors the nitrogen. And ultimately, it outcompetes the alfalfa crop. It kind of feeds its, feeds its competitor till it goes out of existence. Red clover, which is another one that's common in our area, about 68% of the nitrogen is in the tops and 32% in the roots. Now, there are things that affect the nitrogen release when you have a legume. For example, the crop uh, that you've had, the crop that you're feeding, but the temperature in the soil, because soil temperature uh, affects how fast the microbes work in the soil uh, to convert this organic nitrogen, which is what you ultimately have with a legume, into a plant-available form as well as soil moisture. Uh, pH also has an impact on that because we know at, at lower pHs, when you get down in the low fives, uh, then you start affecting that microbial process and slow it down, and they really can't convert the nitrogen like they should. And then the tillage system. Is it a no-till system, or are we actually disturbing the soil? Uh, and so... You know, when we are, uh, when these things are being broken down, uh, there's a thing we refer to as the carbon-nitrogen ratio, which is important for the bacteria that are breaking down these things. A, if you get a carbon-to-nitrogen ratio uh, that's greater than 25 parts uh, carbon to one part nitrogen, you start really slowing down uh, the availability of the nitrogen there because it's tied up by the bugs in the soil that are breaking it down. And if you were to look at different plants and what the carbon to nitrogen ratio would be uh, on hairy vetch that we've talked about, it's going to be 10 to 1 to 15 to 1. So it's certainly down in the lower range where it's really going to decompose pretty quick and the nitrogen is going to be released. Uh, crimson clover similar to that. If you compare that to something that we know is really high carbon, like sawdust, it has a carbon to nitrogen ratio of 250 to 1. And so if you were incorporating sawdust, which 
Some people do. They mulch with sawdust, or they may want to improve their soil by incorporating sawdust into it. You're really going to tie up a lot of nitrogen in a case like that, and you have to be careful that you supplement nitrogen enough to do that. That's different than what we're talking about today, but I uh, thought I'd throw that in. All right, so legumes also have the ability to, as well as other cover crops, to scavenge nutrients uh, by going down into the soil with their roots uh, to be able to capture some of those nutrients that are down deep in the soil and bring them back up into the plant. Uh, I mentioned when we were talking about cover crops that I planted a wheat experiment one time and Dr. Mark Alley, who was our soil fertility specialist at the time, said you need to go out in December and dig some of those plants and see how deep the roots have gone from October to December. And their roots as deep as 18 inches already in December down there scavenging nutrients that are down in the soil, bringing those back up to the surface. And if that's nitrogen, that's important not only for the plant, but also from an environmental standpoint that it's not going on down into the groundwater or whatever. And so if you look at uh, vetch, which we've talked about a good bit, uh, in terms of uh, the nutrients that they can accrue or that they can scavenge, uh, in a season, 141 pounds. Potassium, which is really important, 133 pounds. Phosphorus, 18 pounds. Magnesium, 18 pounds. Calcium, 52 pounds. And so, uh, and Crimson clover, similar to that, actually can scavenge more potassium out of the soil through the roots and bring that back up into the plant. And so then when we incorporate those as a green manure crop or they decompose in a no-till situation, those nutrients then are brought back up to be not technically recycled, but in a sense recycled to where the plant that is growing at that time can actually use that crop. If you think about the rooting depths, and this is why one of, the re- one of the reasons they're able to do this is how deep can the roots go down. Red clover, you know, we see a plant that's maybe a foot or 14 inches tall, but their roots can actually go down five to seven feet into the soil. So that's going way down. Uh, a vetch can go three to five feet. White clover, which we see in our, in our yard, um, a very small plant uh, can go down one to three feet, as does hairy vetch. And so this scavenges those nutrients, but it does other things that are beneficial for the soil. And one of those is to supply organic matter, which uh, helps with soil aggregation so that you have aggregates that give us pore space in the soil. Uh, but also in terms of soil health, because the fungi, the microbes, and all those things that are necessary in the soil are benefited by having something alive growing on the soil all the time. We do know that there are fungi in the soil or mycorrhizae that are in the soil that actually help transfer nutrients into the plant uh, that it needs to be able to grow. And so all these things are benefits of what we're talking about. And uh, if, you're, if you decide that you want to do this and you want to estimate the nitrogen contribution, for example, from a a vetch cover. You can actually cut and weigh a fresh vetch. Let me say that again. You can actually cut and weigh the fresh vetch top growth from a four-foot by four-foot area. And so you would go out and measure off four by four in your garden or field, whatever it was, in a representative area. You don't want to get something that doesn't match the average 
and then weigh that. And you'd weigh that top growth and multiply that by 12 pounds to figure out how much available nitrogen you would get from that crop. Or by 24 to find out the total amount of nitrogen that's there. So you measure off a 4 before area, cut the vetch off, clip it off, weigh it, and then multiply that by 12 to see how much would be available there. Uh, as far as seeding information goes, that's extremely important. With vetch, you want to seed it somewhere for the winter time between August the 1st and November the 1st. So we're a little bit late right now. We're, we're on the last day today, and it's cold and it's dry around here, so you're probably not going to be very successful this year with it. But remember that for next year. And you're going to sow about 20 to 30 pounds per acre now on a on a um, small garden space, you're going to be down in the ounces or something or a pound or so, depending on how big it is. Uh, and then if you were going to sow it with something like rye or wheat, then it'd be 10 to 15 pounds uh, along with whatever else you were sowing. It does need to be inoculated. I, I mentioned that those rhizobia, those bacteria, are who actually the ones that do the job of, of assimilating the nitrogen or affixing the nitrogen, we call it. And you have to, you do need to inoculate, and you buy the inoculant in a little pack and mix it on the seed. And one of the ways to do that is pour a little bit of a soft drink, just a little bit in the seed, and pour the inoculant, and then stir it up, and then pour the inoculant in it and stir it, and you'll get the seed coated that way. And it's going to need some phosphate and potash fertilizer to get started. On an acre basis, it'd be 90 to 120 pounds of phosphate, 60 to 90 pounds of potash. Crimson clover, another one that works well in our area, it needs to be planted about 30 to 60 days before frost. And so you're talking about in our area, on average, our first killing frost is October 10th to 15th. So you're talking about planting uh, in early September back into August. And you're talking about 20 to 30 pounds per acre alone or 15 pounds in, in mixtures. And it needs to be inoculated too. And sometimes you can find pre-inoculated seed. And, and keep in mind that there are different inoculants for different legumes. So vetch inoculant doesn't work for clover, and clover doesn't work for vetch. Winter peas is another one. Austrian winter peas is one that's grown. Uh, we can seed it anytime from mid-September to mid-October at 30 to 40 pounds per acre. One of the problems with winter peas, I'll tell you, is the deer love them. Uh, so the deer are going to invite their neighbors from all around to come over and eat your winter peas unless you have some way to keep deer out. So I hope that you've gained some information from this that might be useful. If you have questions about this, feel free to contact me at pblevins at vt.edu. Uh, let the station know, or you can call my number at the office, 276 6766309 and remember next week we're going to be looking at some things about meat that I think you'll find interesting so thank you for being with us today and thank WEHC for hosting this program <music>